Tonight, we will hear this, our collector say. Oh, forget it. Yeah, I saw the mutual fund to buy it. And then I focus, said, you're going to be crazy. He said, you know, I'm going to tell you, the stocks go up and down. The art is tangible. You can hold on to it. I said, I got to have it. Hello and welcome to the Art Dealer Show, the one podcast for and about the people who sell art. My name is Danny Stern, and welcome back to our corner booth here at the old Art Dealer Bar. The watering hole around the corner from the galleries, tucked into that little alley. The place where we throw off our blazers, loosen our ties, sip at something soothing, and commiserate about this thing of ours. But this time things are different. Today, many of our galleries are closed, and our little bar is all but empty and kind of closed on its own. I'm just saying thank God for that set of keys studs once left behind for me to use to lock up with, and for this tall stack of quarters to use on the old juke. There ain't no band tonight. And these are odd times, to say the least. And before you go cringing like I'm going to be beating you with that COVID stick, Know that this is going to not be another one of those podcasts focusing its attention on the COVID virus. Not at all. But what is it going to be then? Because carrying on like normal, talking about how we sell art, it seems off. If not just wrong during a time where little of that is actually being done. For some of us at all. For a lot of us at the cost of great difficulty. And I also didn't want to start talking about how we sell art in the midst of all of this. Or what things are going to look like after. Or during. Or how we're going to get back to normal once this is all over. I don't know. And I don't really believe that anyone else can know at this point either. Not from where we stand now. So great. Glad I figured out what it is we're not going to talk about. Honestly. I had no idea what the answer was actually going to be. Not for weeks. Maybe the move was just to put off of the little informal get-togethers we do here. Put them on hold until someone says Jerry has surrendered or whatever. Ollie Ollie oxen free. I don't know what we're waiting for. Oh, and by the by, I had a new episode lined up for March. Really, I did. It was ready to go. And it was a good one. But, just my luck, it was about art auctions on cruise ships. And that felt a little bit uh, ill-timed. But then last week, I got this voicemail. Hey, cuz, how you doing? I haven't spoken to you in, uh, what was it, two years? Possibly three. It's Angelo. Angelo is a special friend of ours at the agency. Uh, how you doing? I hope everybody, family's okay with this uh, pandemic going around. Here in New York, uh, we're cooking, I guess you could say. He's also one of the truly interesting and unlikely people we've ever gotten to know over the years. Hey, I tell you what, hey, it seems like you're getting in touch with the Pope at the Vatican easier. Uh, okay. I was also afraid he was looking to liquidate some art during all of this. Nothing happening. It's not looking to sell or anything. But it's nice to hear your voice. That's a relief. Be well. Be safe. Take care. Be well. I was looking for an answer to what this show could be now. And it was left for me in a voicemail. No, 
it's not going to be me playing voicemails. Although, how much do you want to bet there are more than 100 podcasts right now, if not 1,000, that are just that? Angelo, aside from many other things, is a star of one of my favorite personal art-selling stories that I've probably told to 100 art dealers, maybe even a few hundred, probably a few hundred. He's one of my Swiss Army knife of parables that I pull out of my hip pocket to make a point, or sometimes just entertain my art-selling brethren on nights like tonight. And this is the answer. Because this, this is the kind of thing we need right here, in this moment. We need to hear the stories, the great stories, gallery stories. We need to hear about the high-wire deals you've made, your odd collection of odd collectors, the time things went wildly off the tracks, simple encounters that turned into sagas, moments that changed how you did things or even changed you. While the world is on pause, or even while the world is resetting itself, we need the inspiring, funny, sad, scary, even silly stories from when the, quote, things were normal. And to do this, I'm counting on you. I want to hear your stories. And some of them I would like us to share with everyone else here at the bar. You with me? But for now, I'll get this ball rolling. So you ready? You settled in? You got one of those tall Zoom-style cocktails in hand? If not, just reach behind the bar and grab whatever it is you need. These ain't normal times. It's cool. Okay, here we go. Many years back, in my corner of the art business, there was one fair. That fair was a must-do if you were in the mix at all. And the fate that followed going to that fair could make or break your year. Unlike the fairs most people hear about today, Art Miami, Armory, Basel, this fair was not meant for the public. It's where artists, art publishers, and art agents such as myself went to meet up with existing connections in the business, our clients, and more importantly, to make new connections with galleries to carry our artists. To show at this fair was a significant investment and you bought as big as you could risk. Booth fees aside, you had pricey crating, shipping, handouts, cabs, 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 and limos, entertaining clients, New York entertaining that is. One year this meant even pricey strip clubs, flights, hotels, and food for your crew. And that's just the stuff you can track. New York is like a hole in your pocket. And then there is the booth. During the time of this story, a 10 by 10 cost $8,000 per. Could go up to $10,000 or more. This of course depends on how close you are to the front. And you don't want to be the guy with that one lonely 10 by 10 in the back of the show. You gotta show that your art is hot. That it's so hot it's like printing your own money. So it's gotta be several of those. And that's just the price to get into the game, as they say. Because the booth cost is not just about the footage. 
You ever done a trade show or a fair? Then you probably know where I'm going with this. You want a couch in the booth? Thousand dollars. You want lights? More than the few that they gave you in the beginning? Couple hundred per. Chair? Table? Electricity, you say? Did someone say you need walls to hang the art on? You got the couple in the back. You want any more? Padding. Padding under the carpet so you don't break your feet before this is all over. You're going to need that. Of course you want that. Now, add all of that up, plus a little bit extra, and place your bets on red, baby. Because that's what it ends up being. A high-stakes bet on yourself, your artist, and your luck. You've now got five days that you're hoping is long enough on the convention floor in the midst of a sea of people, thousands of people, all trying to win at the same game in the middle of Jaffet Center, NYC, in the depths of February, in the part of town that the damn cabs never stop for you at 5.30 at night. When the stakes are this high, there is no time to mess around. The experienced goer to this fair becomes an art-selling terminator, weeding out the nonsense from the high-value targets you came for. You have your sights set on one, galleries you already sell to to get them excited about the coming year, which is nice, but doesn't pay for this safari. Two, new gallery clients who will start selling your artists into the new year, which is good, but it's the long money and maybe won't even pay for your plane ticket home. Who knows? Three, names on invoices, which can be one or two and maybe four. Four, the elephant that falls from the sky who pays for the investment, which is rare at a show that is mostly for the trade, but it can happen. Mostly it doesn't. Mostly it's actually what people talk about when they're effectively lying back at the lounge at the hotel. What you also have to do, and this is just as important as identifying your targets, you have to weed out the people who are not those targets. Everybody who's not number one through four or any combination of must be dismissed as quickly as possible. Time is of the essence. You paid for every minute of it and you can't squander any of it because that may make you miss out on the opportunity of meeting those people. The guy who smells like ham and wants to tell you the story about the time that don't care, smile and pivot soldier. Those old lady friends that saw that you could get in for free after three. They saw it on that NY1 loop that plays in the back of the cams. Bob, weave, and slide to the side. This was the show, my friend. You had to have your head in the game, or the game is going to play you out. Look, indulge me for a minute here. I've been stuck in my home office for a long time. Okay, but all the while, you also have to keep in mind the old adage. Anybody can be the one. Any of these people could be the one you came for as well. Hello. Hey, Angelo, it's Danny. Hey, Brother Danny, how are you? What's up? I'm good. How are you doing? 
Thank God, great, man. Really great. I'm sitting here looking at the 40-look painting as we speak. Hey, Angelo, hang in there for a sec, buddy. Your part's coming up in just a moment. I'm telling the story about when you and I first met, and I'm hoping that you can help me out a little bit along the way. All right, Danny. Every day I had a routine of getting into the booth early, far before the doors had opened. Loading up the booth with provisions that would get my crew through the day, making sure the booth looked entirely buttoned up, giving myself some time to settle in and center myself. After everything was put in place, I would calm myself down, get relaxed in my surroundings while no one other than Javits Center workers were around, vacuuming the carpet in the aisles, securing the loose exhibit signs, scissor lifts moving around to adjust the banners and change out bulbs and the big overhead lights. Checking uh, if all the lights are in the booth, I was chiming uh, down the booth numbers that had a bulb out, a light out. On this day, while doing my morning routine, I turned a corner to the outside of our big booth and I saw a burly, muscular guy, five foot five, shaved head, covered with gold chains. I never take my chains off with the, like I wear the dragon, the horn. I got the shark's tooth and... He was standing there in front of one of our paintings. Was this actually done by Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones? Yes, I said, it is. Get out of here. I love these guys. This particular painting was of Wood's own bandmates. And as I was doing the, uh, the walk for maintenance, I happened to see the 40-week tour. Uh, for, and I, I just fell in love with it because I remembered them all together on stage and bowing to everybody, you know, after the concert. Then he asked me how much it was. Then I answered, it's pricey. But we have a new print of it, and it's... Angelo cut me off. Yeah, but what if I wanted to buy it? He asked with a clear seriousness. I was worried I was going to embarrass him with the answer. So I tried to say it with nothing that could be read as a tone one way or the other. 140000 Quickly moving to... It's really quite a painting, isn't it? Have you ever seen his work before? Just anything. Anything so that the smack from dropping that brick would not ring in the air for too long. He told me how much he loved these guys, how much they meant to him, the concerts he had gone to, and how much this particular painting was speaking to him. And even after hitting him with that truck of a price tag, he still sounded like a guy who was going to buy a painting. I said, I gotta have that. And then I came back and said, don't sell that, that's mine. Saw myself not being able to sleep for days, maybe weeks, because I let this nice guy, this guy who changes the light bulbs in our booth, drop his entire life savings on a painting. I said, hey, look, this painting is wonderful, but this may not be the best way to spend this kind of money. Then Angelo said, you know, last year I almost bought an $80,000 Benz. And the thing is, the minute you roll that thing off the lot, it's worth $30,000 less. Back then, I was still learning that lesson, you know, the one when you figure it all out, you know that the thing you know is that you know nothing. Angelo came by the booth every minute that he could cut free that day, sometimes getting in trouble for it. Mostly to just look at the painting while he told me how important the guys in the band were to him. 
and how much the painting was meaning to him as well. Sometimes he would ask me more questions about buying it, taking me away from, you know, the people I was there to talk to so I could make our nut. I'd answer in that very polite but short and in no way implying that I've got time for this tone. You know, that pretentious needle that us art dealers thread, the one that rarely goes unseen by anybody who's over the age of 18. Such an art dealer tool I can be sometimes. By the end of the day, he asked me straight out, how can I pay for this? And I gave him our bank info. Not because I expected this to be real, but because I was tired of trying to save a working man from spending above his punching weight, or even just fantasizing about something he couldn't do in the long run anyway. And quite honestly, I thought it would bring an abrupt end to this conversation. The next morning, our accountant called. Good morning, Danny. A lot of money just hit our account. You know where it's from? Well, I don't really, I mean, well, Jesus, get out. Later on, when I got back to the booth at the convention center, there was Angelo, bright and early. Danny, did you get it? When I said yes, he lit up like a kid getting his dream gift from Santa. And, uh, but, you know, that must have been a big decision at that time. You, you had never... Oh, forget it. Yeah, I saw the mutual fund to buy it. And then I broke and said, you're going to be crazy. I said, you know, I'm going to tell you, the stocks go up and down. The art is tangible. You can hold on to it. I said, I got to have it. Had you ever bought a piece of artwork before this? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, I got one. It's on the opposite wall. It's a, uh, it's a copper... Sense of a man and a woman. That was the first thing I bought. Mm-hmm. And back then, it was, I think maybe I paid four thousand dollars for it. In fact, prior to buy my first work with you, I wanted to buy something that was in Walt Disney. I wanted to buy them, mm-hmm. and I had a hard time with my wife with us. She didn't want me to buy that. It, it was a beautiful, and I'd seen it in a doctor's office later on. And I said, you know, I had to. I could have bought that years ago. And my kids were little. And my wife says, no, 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 we don't want that. We don't want that. Yeah. But when I seen the one that you had, I says, no, 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 no. I said, I got to have it. Do you think that was part of it? You were thinking, I don't want to have to regret not buying something a second time? Without a doubt, yeah. yeah. I don't want to look back in life and say, I wish I would have, wish I could have. You know, we're going around this block one time. We don't get a chance to go around twice. So if you want to do it, you want to do it right. So, what- so I ended up getting started. So once you paid for it, there was no moment of regret? Not at all. I've sold art to thousands of people at this point in my life, and I never, ever saw anyone more excited about buying a painting. Well, what did you feel the moment you pulled the trigger on it? You know, as soon as you sent oh, that light? Yeah. That, well, night, that night we went and we had martinis with uh, one of my co-workers, and we just went, I had apple cider martinis. And he had the regular martini, and we just drank to uh, oblivion. I had to sit on the uh, the curb because how uh, drunk I was. And then the cops showed up thinking I was, you know, a bum. And I told them, no, 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 no. Back at, and I showed them the money I had in my pocket. It was a couple hundred hours. Then I showed them the receipt from you. 
Yeah, they took me and they told me to put vote cards. They took me to a hotel and they just said, Take care, congratulations. That was my experience that night. <laughs> Hold on. So you got busted that night that you bought the piece and, and you actually no, I, showed the cops the invoice for buying the piece? Yeah, yeah. And they were happy and they drove me to the hotel in the squad car. <laughs> okay. So it's a you never know just who you'll sell your next big painting to story. And it's also a you don't judge a person by their shoes lesson as well. Sure, if it ended just there. In the years that followed, Angelo became part of our scene. He was a fixture to this annual pilgrimage to the show in New York. And then I went to Carnegie Deli and I bought a pastrami sandwich and a corned beef sandwich. And those were those, uh, the mile highs they called it that in the city. And it was like uh, at least six inches of meat. And then the rye bread on top and bottom of pickle and coleslaw. And that's how we became friends. And every time you were in New York, I think that's why you came to New York, just for those uh, sandwiches. No. They were great. <laughs> Firstly, it's not why. Secondly, Angelo was wrong. It's cats. I know my delis. Thirdly, those were some damn good sandwiches. Every year we would return and we would look forward to seeing our friends, our favorite collectors, and Angelo. Angelo was always there waiting for us. But that was it. I always try to have stuff put aside for you when you came in with the art show. Because I know I was always going to buy something from you. By the next year, maybe it was the third year, Angelo has started a long campaign of convincing his fellow workers that they needed to collect art as well, specifically from us. But how did you even start that conversation with them? Because you'd bring them by to show them the pieces and would tell them that they should buy. Yeah, yeah. They just started believing in like some of the things I was doing. Like I would tell them, uh, you know, I said, you should buy art. I says, well, we got a job. We're making good money. I says, uh, we got to do things with it. You know, if we don't do this and you put something on the side, little by little, tomorrow. I said, and here you got this guy coming in once a year and he, he could buy something. Now, let's see what he's got. This was not a subtle thing. He'd bring them one by one, sometimes little groups of Javits Center workers to the booth, like he was an art dealer working the floor. He'd take them right up to the wall, right put their nose into the painting, and he would say, this is the one. This is the one that you should be getting. And they would. And then they put a stop to the uh, paintings. I wasn't allowed to buy anything from you no more towards the end. That's when they put me in the lobby. Why did they tell you you couldn't buy anymore? Because you're not allowed to deal with the exhibits. They always felt like I was giving you like something for free, like uh, the lights, uh, outlets, uh, I always thought there was something uh, of a deal going down, you know? Eventually, this kind of fair became less important. The internet had caught up with the way things were done. Galleries did not see the point to make an expensive trip to New York. And Angelo, too, he started to slow down a bit. And then 2008 shook out the excess from the market. The fair moved to a much smaller venue, and eventually, Angelo retired. But that was the fair. The market for the first painting that he bought was still growing. There were now collectors who would pay more for it, a lot more for it. And I started to call Angelo to see if he was game to sell. So 
Do you remember years later when I started calling you and seeing if you wanted to sell the painting? And you had a guy, I, I want to say Australia or Austria, somewhere. So, yeah, he was from Sweden. But I tell you, I would end up uh, buying definitely with the money. I would have bought a car, you know, because, oh, a better car than what I bought. Was that, you know, but the extra cash, it's like monopoly money again. You know, it's not changing my life. I was still worried about how this hardworking guy had put so much of his savings into this art, particularly one of the pieces. And now, now he was a friend. And I wanted him to be able to cash in while the market was good. I know how these things can change. Let me ask you a question, though. You know, getting back to when I, you know, I called a couple few times over the years, see if you're interested in selling. And I always got a sense that a lot of your identity was getting goes in. Sorry, yeah, goes with the stuff I own. Yeah, you know that that the it's paintings like, was a part of who you were. It seemed like they are, they are, they are a part of me because they lie within me. You know, like I. But it always seemed like think, you know if you realize that if if you had sold the painting, it felt like a part of you maybe was going away or. It would, yes, it would. I look at it every day, never wishing I, you know, get a chance to sell it. It was something that, you know, you you look at and you say, "That's me." It's not about the money, you know. If it was, I mean, if it was meant for me to be a millionaire, I would hit the lottery a hundred times already. You probably wouldn't, but if you asked me, what was worth more? If it was the sales that we made one very big one, and a whole lot of little ones that followed for years after? Or if it was the fun that we had with the man that eventually became our friend? Of course I would say it's the friendship. Hands down. I would have said that one year in. And yet here it is a decade later, and I was finally getting to understand that Angelo would say the same thing if you asked him the question. But for him it was something else too. In addition to the stories, enjoying his art, he got to be the guy who held the painting that millionaire art collectors wanted. But it's his. It's on uh, my family room wall. I see that every night. And it just brings back a lot of memories. You know, I want to be like Sinatra. Regrets. We had a few, and they're too few to mention at all. But you never look back. You always look forward. Because if you look back, you'll always see a shadow. And then you start thinking, oh, I wish I could have. No, no, no. If you look forward, you never see a shadow in your life. And that's what I try to do in my life. I just look forward. It's like I gave my daughters, I gave them each two, and I put aside something for the future for my grandchildren. And this is what the investment was for, to give them something that they could always remember me by. I've sold a lot of art. I've made some good money, done some big deals. That's predictable. And I could have basically done the same type of thing and insurance or any number of other such things. But I got into this particular field to meet interesting people in a way that you can't in any other. I got into it to fill me with a lifetime of great stories. I got a lot of these. And that's why I'm Art Biz Rich. But, uh, Angelo, I, I really want to thank you for uh, letting me uh, talk with you and go down memory lane with this. 
Oh man, without a doubt, man. It's always good talking to you. Okay. I just hope we can leave on bad terms with that deal. No, I'm glad he didn't sell it. All right, Danny. Thank you for everything, I'll speak man. To you soon. Nah, thank you for bringing back uh, yesteryears. <laughs> that was nice. So now it's your turn. I want to hear your great art dealer stories. Just reach out to me at hey at artdealer.show. That's H-E-Y at symbol A-R-T. You know how to spell art dealer dot S-H-O-W. And then once I've gathered them together, we'll all meet back here in our little candlelit booth in the corner of the bar and we'll share them and they're going to be great. Normally, I ask somewhere in the show that you help out. Not with money, but to spread the word about our little cabal. And I'm always touched by the folks who do. Today, I have one in particular that I want to single out, and that's Dennis Towers of the Artist Lounge website. Artistlounge.gallery, as well as DennisTowers.com. He gave us a little shout-out on one of those sites, and he also gave us a great shout-out on his Instagram feed, all of which worth checking out, and I hope you do. Because don't forget, if you're listening now to the very bitter end, you probably like this show. And this is one of the ways you can help us fill the little tip jar. So, until next time we sneak back into the old art dealer bar with the keys I borrowed-ish from studs, May the coconuts fall at your feet. Good night, my art dealers. Good night. This has been The Art Dealer Show. You can find us at artdealer.show and at all the cool social media hangouts with the handle, yeah, you guessed it, Art Dealer Show.